Good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? Lots of uh, turkey, lots of mashed potatoes, stuffing. Uh, if you're like me, I think I've eaten enough for five people. I had a, a work Thanksgiving luncheon on Wednesday, had a family Thanksgiving luncheon on Thursday, had another family dinner uh, Friday night, leftovers yesterday, and uh, some about turkeyed out uh, for the week. But this morning, I wanted us to just uh, spend some time reflecting before we it's so easy to uh, hustle into the Christmas season uh, stores. I think probably a month ago, we're already uh, putting out Christmas trees and uh, Christmas decorations. And um, and so before we dive in really to the Christmas season, I just want us to take a time this morning to reflect on this idea of Thanksgiving, to reflect on this idea of Thanksgiving. And so this morning, uh, my my hope is that we would have a kind of a new perspective uh, on this idea of thanks to living. So can you do this? Grab your Bibles with me this morning. Uh, turn to the book of First Peter. And while you're doing that, if you wouldn't mind standing as we read through this together. First, First Peter, chapter two. And find your way to verse three. First Peter, chapter two, starting at verse three, it says, since you have tasted that the Lord is good. We've all tasted things this week, but have you tasted that the Lord is good? It says coming to him or as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but chosen and valuable to God. You yourselves as living stones are being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it is contained in scripture. Look, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe. But for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. And they stumble because they disobey the message And they were destined for this. But you, you church, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You church are a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim this morning the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. For once you had not received mercy, but praise the Lord. Now you have received mercy. God, thanks so much for your word. God, we are excited to be here this morning, excited to be in your presence, excited to be, uh, God, just a part of the body. And uh, God, thank you for a, uh, a season and a time that, God, we can reflect on just a life of thanks living, a life of thankfulness. And God, I pray this morning as we go through your word that you would speak to our hearts, that you would tear down any walls that maybe we've built up in our hearts and that you would really help us to see and to have a fresh perspective, God, of what it means to be thankful, God, what it means to live a life where we are filled with the thanksgiving because of the things that you have done in our lives. God, we stand here this morning if we are believers in Jesus Christ, knowing that the spirit dwells within us. God, just to utter those words, that's something that Old Testament folks would have loved to have 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 said. 
without knowing that the spirit would never leave them. But guy, we as New Testament believers, we have the spirit that dwells within us. God, that will never leave us. So, God, we have a lot to be thankful for this morning. So, God, would you reveal to us? God, would you speak to our hearts? Would you give us ears to hear this morning? Would you give us hearts to listen and to be ready to take in the things that you've prepared for us? So, God, we give you all the glory and all the praise. God, thanks for your word and thanks for the power behind it. We pray these things in your name. Amen. You can have a seat this morning. I want us just to tuck away that passage, First Peter chapter 2. Just kind of tuck that away in the back of your mind this morning a little bit. We're going to come back to it. Uh, but I want us to just kind of put a, a pin in that for just a, a little bit. Uh, we're going to kind of be b- bouncing around this morning in different scriptures. Um, but remember the beginning of this year. This has kind of been a crazy year for some of us. But remember back to the very beginning of this year. And we started out this journey as a church body on this idea of thanks living. Right. You'll see down here. I actually I brought this out. It's been gone for a couple months. But we, we started this jar, a cookie jar. We turned it into our thanks living jar. Right. And we started this journey talking about what it means to live a life of thanks living. What does that look like? What does it mean to live a life of thankfulness? And we really wanted to focus in as a church this year on what does it mean to be thankful? Right. In the way that we talk and the things that we say and the, and the words that come out of our mouth. Because we know that's a direct reflection of our hearts. Right. We want to do this in the way that we think. Right. And the, the things that we think about, the things that we ponder on. We want to do this in the, in, the, in the things that we act on, the actions of our bodies, the things that we allow our hands and our feet to do. And then for many of us that go to work, we want to we want to be thankful in the things that we do at work and the, in the way that we live our life uh, with our coworkers, with our bosses. In any of our interactions with anybody, we want to live a life of thanks living. And uh, so I don't know about you at the very beginning of this year, our family, we saw this uh, jar. We saw people starting to write things that they're thankful for in this jar. And we decided, how do we make this a part of our life every day? How do we really help our kids to understand this idea of thanks living? And so we decided as a family that we were going to do something every day that would help us remember. And so. Uh, rather than just once a year at Thanksgiving, uh, giving thanks to the Lord for what he's done. And so we kind of implemented our family probably around February or March. We decided, hey, before we ha- sit down for dinner every night, before we pray for our food, why don't we go around and we will tell each have each person will have a chance to say what they're thankful for. And so that's what we did. We started off uh, the year talking uh, when we got together for dinner and we would go around the dinner table or go around the couch, depending or go around the restaurant table, wherever we were at. And we would have each of our kids and my wife and I would do it as well. We would talk about the things that we're thankful for that day. And uh, I'll never forget my four year old. She was three when we started this at the beginning of the year. Now she's four. But we started this. And I remember she always had two things we could count on. And after a little while, her siblings started to kind of laugh because they knew the two things that she was going to share with the family. And uh, she would say this: she would always thank the Lord for food. I think she was really wanting to thank the Lord for candy and sweets, but she would always thank the Lord for her food and for her drink. And then the second thing that kind of caught us off guard at first, she would thank the Lord for her troll birthday. And we were thinking troll birthday. This is like February, March. We hadn't even got to September when her birthday is. But we as a family had just seen that new troll movie that had come out and she got it stuck in her mind. I want to have a troll birthday. 
Right. I want my birthday to be decorated with the little trolls and I want to just have a troll birthday. And so that got stuck in her mind. So every time we went around, what are you thankful for? She would say, I'm thankful for my food and my drink. Every once in a while, she'd throw in mom and dad. But then she was always thankful for her troll birthday. And this continued day after day, month after month. And uh, her perspective. And I was thinking about that this morning and this week as I was preparing for this this message And I think often her perspective got stuck on those two things, right? That was her world, right? Food and drink, really candy and sweets and whatever that was good and tasting good to her. Um, And then she wanted to have this special birthday. And so she did. She had her birthday in September. It was a troll birthday. Um, But often I realize and I think we often get stuck into this narrow perspective of what it means to be thankful I mean, think about that. Have you ever been in an environment where you had to go around and maybe it's in a prayer environment or just a time of Thanksgiving and you say, "Okay, well, what are you thankful for? And you say, well, I'm thankful for family. I'm thankful for the food God's given me, the clothes on my back, the roof over my head. And that's kind of the summation sometimes of our Thanksgiving. But there's more to that, isn't there? Isn't there more to that picture of who God is? I mean, the reality is the abundance of God's goodness in our life should we should be able as a church body to just spend all day here and all week here and, and to be able to list the things that we're thankful for and still not have enough time to do it all. Right. And so this morning, I just want to my goal this morning is to kind of help us to pull back a little bit uh, to get a, a bigger, greater perspective of what it means to live a life of Thanksgiving. And as I look at this jar that's over half full um, I think we're down that road. I think we're doing good, right? We're, we're listing the things that we're thankful for. And this morning, I hope we'll have a different new perspective uh, this morning of what that looks like. If you will grab your Bibles, if you have them in front of you or your Bible apps, and uh, let's dive in this morning. We have a lot to cover, a little bit of time to do it. Uh, but turn to the very beginning of your Bibles to the book of Genesis. You can turn to Genesis chapter 3. As you're turning there, remember in the very beginning of of time, God created Adam and Eve. He created man and woman and he placed them in a garden and gave them names, right? Adam and Eve. And he said, I'm placing you in the garden of Eden. And we see Adam and Eve in this perfect environment, right? The one that the Lord has established for them to live in. And here we see Adam and Eve and they're in the garden and they have this very unique, special, close relationship with the Lord, right? They had this Really, this unfeathered, unmediated relationship, this direct access between God and man. And then in Genesis chapter three, something changes, something happens. Right. What happens in Genesis chapter three? Well, sin, sin enters the picture, right? Sin enters the picture. And uh, so this morning we're going to read Genesis chapter three. I'll put it up here on the screen. I think. Genesis chapter three, verses uh, starting at chapter uh, verse six. Follow along with me as I read. It says, then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at. Right? This is the tree that she was told not to eat from. Right. So she's buying into the lie of the evil one. And it said and she saw that it was it was delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of it and she ate the fruit. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And so this is what they did. They sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. 
says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. Catch the picture of uniqueness and closeness and intimacy uh, that they had with God. Here they hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And because of their sin, they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Verse 11, it says, then he asked, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And then man goes into this whole blaming shift, blame shifting uh, process. Right. But what I want to kind of point out to us this morning is when we see this verse, many people argue over, did God actually physically walk in the garden with Adam and Eve? Some say they some say God did. Some others say it's it's really just a, a picture of what that relationship looked like. But what I want to point out this morning is that before sin even ever entered the picture, we see that God and mankind had this really unique communion together. They had this great relationship. Right. Mankind trusted God. Mankind believed in God and what God had to say. And so here we see Adam and Eve in the garden, this perfect place, right? Everything that was good was there in front of them and God had made it. And then in a moment, in an instant, it all changed. See, in a moment, Adam and Eve began to believe the lie of the evil one. They, get, they began to believe something other than God. You ever been there? You ever been at that place in your life where you started to believe the lie of the evil one? This is where Adam and Eve find themselves. And so they kind of get thrown into this whirlwind of depravity and sin and a life that is just going to head down the wrong road. And so all of a sudden we see that there are some there's now a need. There's now a, a need for specific things that hadn't been needed. There hadn't been a need for before. All of a sudden we see that God has to implement some things that we didn't see in the, the initial garden before sin came into place. And so this morning, I want to kind of walk through these three things that I think God had to institute that we see even today. Um, and I hope this gives us a better perspective of what it means to live a life of thanks living. So on the screen, uh, Dave, if you can flip to the next slide, three reasons to be thankful that for this morning. The first one is this idea of the sacrifice. Right before sin into the picture, there was no need for a sacrifice. There is no need. But here right away, we see that there is. Look at Genesis chapter three. We see it right away. I often thought the sacrifice came a lot later, but I was as I was, I was reading through the scriptures. Uh, I noticed in Genesis chapter three, we see a picture of this kind of foreshadowing of what's to come. Uh, look at verse 20 with me. Genesis chapter three, verse 20. It says, then Adam named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And then verse 21 says this. It says, the Lord God made clothing out of the skins for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. Now, if you're like me, I find this interesting because God clothed them with the skin of an animal. But didn't Adam and Eve already cover themselves up? Right. We saw, I think, uh, early on in verse seven that they took fig leaves and they covered themselves but yet here we see God in verse 21 and he comes and he takes the skin of an animal and he makes clothes for them. He covers them. I think this is the first covering of a sinner through the death of an innocent sacrifice. 
right? It's a way for God to announce the need for a future, perfect, ultimate sacrifice. But we see it from the very beginning. When sin enters the picture, all of a sudden there's this need for a sacrifice. As we go on throughout Scripture, we don't have to turn very far. Genesis chapter 4 on the next slide uh, you'll see there's a list of different passages that I wrote down, and this is not exhaustive at all. This is just uh, some that I was looking at. But in chapter four of Genesis, uh, we see right away that Cain and Abel into the picture. And then there there's a, already a, uh, a, a desire to bring a sacrifice before the Lord. And so we see, uh, of course, that Cain brings the first fruits of the harvest and the grains that he had. And Abel brings the firstborn of his flock. Uh, if we were to flip over to Genesis chapter 8, 20 through 21, we see this idea of Noah, right? Noah builds an altar to the Lord and he offers up an animal sacrifice to the Lord. And then maybe a passage that's really familiar to us is Genesis chapter 22, right? This picture of Abraham and Isaac and where Abraham goes up to the mountain and he takes his son with him to present a sacrifice to the Lord, right? And we know that he goes up there without a sacrifice, knowing that he is willing, if need be, to sacrifice his one and only son. Right? We're starting to see a picture of what God is putting into place, what's to come through the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you know that story, of course, God provided an alternative sacrifice and Isaac's life was spared. And then we see in Exodus uh, chapter 20, verses 22 through 24, uh, we see this idea of Moses was asked to build an altar to the Lord. And on it, he sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. Uh, he sacrificed uh, sheep and oxen and animals uh, as a sweet aroma to the Lord, as a covering for his sins and the sins of, his, of the people. But do this with me. Turn over to the book of Leviticus. I know this is some of your favorite, the uh, uh, favorite book for some of you, the book of Leviticus. Uh, this is a hard book sometimes to read. But turn to Leviticus, Leviticus chapter one and do this with me with a little participation this morning. When you turn to chapter one and most of your Bibles at the very top probably have a heading or a title. What does that title say at the very top? Was that the burnt offering? Right. So we see this idea of a burnt offering. What about chapter two? A grain offering. So we see a burnt offering, a grain offering. Chapter three What's the title on that one. A peace offering, or some of your Bibles may say a fellowship offering. What about chapter four? A sin offering. Uh, and then chapter five, a guilt offering or a trespass offering. Right. So we could go all throughout Leviticus. We won't this morning, uh, but we could go all throughout Leviticus and see that all of these offerings, all of these sacrifices that God was establishing. Why? Because of the sin of Adam and Eve, because of the sin of mankind. And so all of a sudden we get into this whole picture of this uh, need for a sacrifice. The second one, the next slide that Dave is going to put up this morning. Uh, the second reason to be thankful is this idea that God had to establish this idea of a priest or a priesthood. A priest or a priesthood. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19, starting at verse 1. says in the third month on the same day of the month that the Israelites had left the land of Egypt, that they entered the wilderness of Sinai. And after they departed from Rephidim, they entered the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness and Israel camped there in front of the mountain. And it says Moses went up to the mountain to God to the 
And the Lord called to him from the mountain and he said to Moses, this is what you must say to the house of Jacob and explain to the Israelites. For you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles wings and how I brought you to me. Right. God is beginning to call the nation of Israel to himself. He says, now, if you listen to me, verse five, if you listen to me and carefully keep my my covenant, you will be my own possession. Right. God is saying you, Israel, will be my own possession out of all of the peoples, out of all of the earth, though all the earth is mine and you will be my kingdom of what? Of priests, you will be my kingdom of priests and you will be my holy nation. See, God takes the people of Israel and he chooses out of all the people of all the world. And he says that the nation of Israel will be a kingdom of priests, that they will be a priestly kingdom, one that will mediate God's presence between the world and God. And so they've been given this extreme blessing of being chosen by God to be a priestly kingdom. Look at I have Deuteronomy chapter seven. You can turn there. It's going to be up on the screen as well. Deuteronomy chapter seven, verses six through eight says this says, for you are a holy people belonging to the Lord, your God. And the Lord, your God has chosen you to be his own possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord was devoted to you and chose you not because you were more numerous than all the peoples for you were actually the fewest of all the peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath that he swore to your fathers. And so he brought you out with a strong hand and he redeemed you from the place of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So not only do we see Israel getting to be chosen as a priestly kingdom, but then look at Exodus chapter 28. Go a few chapters over. I know we're skipping around a lot this morning. Uh, Hopefully you can keep up here. Exodus chapter 28, look at verse one. So not only does Israel get the claim of being a priestly kingdom or a, a kingdom of priests, but then God gets even more specific with them. And he says in verse one of chapter 28 of, of Exodus, he says, now, Moses, have your brother Aaron with his sons come to you from the Israelites to serve me as what? To serve me as priests. And so he calls Aaron and his sons and he says, you, Aaron, Right. Your family, your lineage will now be a priestly lineage. And so he calls them out of the Levite family. And he says that that Aaron and the Levites, that you will be a priestly people. So not only do you have a priestly nation, but then you have specific people within that nation that God says you will be the high priest. You will be the priestly people that carry out the functions of what a priest needs to do. When we mention the word priest, uh, it means this. It means an official who was set apart from the rest of the community in order to carry out certain duties associated with the worship and the sacrifice that needed to be done. And so we see now, right, that Israel and God's people no longer have this direct access to God, that they no longer have this intimate relationship with God, that they have to go through a mediator. They have to go through a priest. And so we see God starting to establish this. Why? Because of the sin of the people. The final thing that we see, if you would uh, actually flip back a couple chapters to Exodus chapter 25, Exodus chapter 25 and find your way to verse eight. So he's established uh, the sacrifice, he's established the priest, 
And then in Exodus chapter 25, verse 8, we'll see what the third thing here that he establishes. It says in verse 8, it says, they are to make a sanctuary for me. They're to make a tabernacle for me so that I may dwell among them. And you must make it according to all that I show you, the pattern of the tabernacle as well as the pattern of all its furnishings. We know now from Scripture that that was actually a, a representation of the future, uh, what it's going to look like, the heavenly realm, the heavenly tabernacle. And so God gives them specific instructions, and this is how you're to build it. But this is what he says. He says, you, he says I want you to make a sanctuary for me. So why? So that I can dwell among you. So that I can be your God and that you can be my people. Right? That idea of a tabernacle means a tent or a place of dwelling, or a sanctuary. And so God is saying to his people, even though there is sin that has separated us, right? I still want to dwell among you. I still want you to be my people. I still want to be your God. And so we see them create this tabernacle. Moses does it in the wilderness. So as they're wandering through the wilderness, Moses creates this kind of traveling tabernacle, Right. One that can be torn down and, and, and moved and, and as they travel. And so they build it. And this is where the tabernacle is. This is where the Holy of Holies is. This is where the the Ark of the Covenant is. Not the one that Indiana Jones discovered. Right. But this is where the true Ark of the Covenant is. This is where the mercy seat of God is. Resides within this tabernacle. And so we know if you're familiar with scripture, right, that what what, what would what would come on top of that tabernacle during the day? A pillar of what? A pillar of cloud. And then what would come at night? A pillar of a pillar of fire. Right. And that represented the fact that God was dwelling in that place with his people. And if you actually saw a picture of that original temple, you would see there was a specific way that all the tribes of Israel were to be established around that tabernacle. And they all had a place and they all had a, a, a way that they were supposed to go about worshiping the Lord. Right. And so God establishes this. And Moses builds it according to the instructions from God. And later we see that that became a permanent building. Right. For the time they were, they were wandering in the wilderness, there's something that they can kind of move around. Uh, eventually, we see that that gets de- uh, developed. Uh, Solomon's temple gets built uh, a little bit later. That gets destroyed. And then Herod uh, builds the second temple. But check this out. The temple was made of different rooms in different uh, areas. For example, if you were a non-Jewish person, if you were a Gentile, right? So if you were you and I this morning, if you're non-Jewish, right? Then you would get to go into this area called the court of the Gentiles. And so that's where you could go and that's where you could be, right? But then there was this other area called the court of women. So if you were an Israelite and you were a woman, then you could go right through this court of, of Gentiles and into this more of an inner court where it was the court of women, But then if even past that, or if you were a Jewish man, you would get to go past the court of Gentiles, past the court of women, and then into this court of Israel or this court of men. And then past that was what we would know as the holy place. And this is where only the priests and the Levites could enter. And so they would go through the Jewish, the the Gentile court. They would go through the, the court of women and the court of men, and they would get to enter into this most holy of places. And then only once a year. Right. We know this only once a year and one of the high priests would get the privilege to be able to go into the most holy of holies. That place where that cloud and that fire dwelt, that meant that the presence of the Lord was dwelling there. And one person one time a year on the day of atonement would get to go into this most inner place. And once again, get to convene with God in a very unique and special way. 
But this priest, right, would have to first offer a sacrifice for himself, right? He would have to first cover his sins because, remember, he's a sinner, too. And so he would have to cover his sins. Then he would have to cleanse everything. And then he would have to go in and then offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. And so that was the priestly role. That was what he had to do. I know you're thinking this morning, okay, this is all Old Testament stuff, right? What does this have to do with me living a life of thanksgiving? What does this have to do with me living a life of thankfulness to God? Well, this is where it gets good. We're going to kind of kick it into overdrive here a little bit. But remember that all of these things were a temporary solution to man's sin problem, right? They were really a foreshadowing of the ultimate sacrifice that was yet to come, Um you see, the old sacrificial system of the Old Testament uh, gave us a picture of our necessity of what it means to have a substitute for our sinfulness. Right. So the, the idea that something had to be killed and that the wrath of God had to be poured down on someone or something. Uh, but here's the deal, church. None of these Old Testament sacrifices could ever fully fulfill what God required because of our sin. And so we see that this is just a picture of what's to come. It's a picture of the one who is to come, the perfect sacrifice, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus basically, Jesus enters the scene, enter the New Testament. Jesus enters the scene and he basically turns everything upside down, right? Everything that the Old Testament people knew, everything that they had been doing, all the rituals that they had set up, all the things that they had been doing. And Jesus comes in and he starts to kind of stir the pot and he starts to introduce this new idea. And this is really where uh, it gets good. These are some radical times for these people to be able to hear these things. Uh, if you will flip over to the New Testament, to the book of John with me this morning, John chapter one. John chapter one, we're very familiar probably with the very first verse that says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Right. That word being Jesus Christ. Right. But if you would, if you found your way to uh, John chapter one, uh, John chapter one, look at verse 14 with me. John chapter one, verse 14. It says this, it says the word became flesh. Right. Jesus became flesh and took up residence or he dwelt among us. And it says that we observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Dave, if you'll flip over to the next slide there. Right. Jesus now becomes these three things, right? These three things that God had to implement in the Old Testament because of the sin of man. And all of a sudden we see Jesus in the New Testament and he becomes these things. Right. John 1:14 says that he says that he he came and he became flesh and he took up or he dwelt among us. And I love what John does here because John basically takes the Greek word logos or the word that's translated to the to word, which is Jesus. And he takes that that's a noun and he changes that into a verb. Right. Here's what I mean by that. It's basically like saying, hey, well, where's the temple? Where's the tabernacle? And it's like, well, right there, Jesus walking right past us. He is the tabernacle. So that what that tabernacle that used to be a noun, that used to be an object, that used to be a place, all of a sudden now has turned into a live, living sacrifice. Right. And so the tabernacle came to dwell among the people. Right. Jesus came to dwell among the people. He took on the flesh. And so Jesus takes on that role of a tabernacle. 
In fact, look at John chapter two. We'll turn one chapter over. John chapter two. John chapter two, verse 13. This is where Jesus goes into the temple, starts cleansing the temple, starts. Uh, well, let's just read it. Verse 13 says the Jewish Passover was near. So Jesus went up to Jerusalem uh, in the temple complex. He found people selling oxen and sheep and doves, right? They were selling sacrifices to the people. And he and, and so he also found the money changers sitting there and, he, and making a whip out of cords. He drove out everyone out of the temple complex with their sheep and their oxen. He also poured out the money changers coins and overturned the tables And he told those that were selling doves, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. If you flip over or just go a couple uh, over to verse 18, it says, so the Jews replied to him, what sign of authority will you show us for doing these things? They didn't like what he was doing, right? What sign of authority will you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answers him in verse 19 and says, destroy this sanctuary. Right. Pointing at himself, destroy this sanctuary and I will raise it up in three days. Well, they didn't know he was talking about himself. Right. And so it says, verse 20 says, therefore, the Jews said this sanctuary took us 46 years to build. And will you raise it up in three days? But verse 21 says, but he was speaking about the sanctuary of his body. Right. He is giving us that idea that I have come to be the tabernacle that dwells among you in the flesh. Then we also see this idea that Jesus becomes the priest, the high priest. Turn to the book of Hebrews, kind of towards the end of the New Testament, the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter four. Sorry, I know we're hopping around a lot, but I wanted you to understand this whole picture. Hebrews chapter four, find your way to verse 14. If we were to have a little bit more time, we could we could probably look at quite a few passages here in Hebrews that talks about Jesus as the high priest. But I want us to focus in on this one this morning. Hebrews chapter four, uh, verses 14 through 16 says this says, therefore, since we have a great high priest speaking of Jesus, right, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to the confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize without or with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. See, he came to be the one true high, high priest. He came to be the one that mediates on our behalf between a sinful man and a holy God. And so we can can now come to him with confidence. We can now come before the Lord. We don't have to go through a priest, right? We can go directly to God because Jesus has fulfilled that role of what it means to be a high priest, what it means to be a mediator between us and God. And so he's he's accomplished that for us. Look over, go to uh, chapter 10 of Hebrews. So Jesus has fulfilled the role of a tabernacle. Jesus has fulfilled the role of a priest. Look over at chapter 10 of Hebrews. Chapter 10 of Hebrews, look at verse 11. It says every priest, verse 11, every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never permanently take away the sins. 
But this man, right, this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. And for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. And so Jesus becomes that high priest, right? Jesus becomes that tabernacle. Jesus becomes that ultimate sacrifice, right? The sacrifice that we need to have a right relationship with Jesus Christ this morning. But church, it doesn't stop there, right? We think, well, that's great. That's awesome. Jesus, we love Jesus, but it doesn't stop there. And I think this is going to, if you have socks on this morning, just hang on to your socks. Uh, Cause I think this is probably going to knock your socks off, right? But For all New Testament believers here, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, right? You now as a believer in Jesus get to partake in each one of these three things, right? In reality, we're the ones that cause these three things to have to come into into play in God's plan, right? It's because of our sin. God knew that we would be sinful, right? But he had to bring these things into place. Jesus being the ultimate example of what these three things would be. But then he gives us the privilege and says, I'm going to allow you to be partakers in each one of these areas. Look at first Corinthians, first Corinthians. First Corinthians, chapter three. First Corinthians chapter three, look at verse 16 with me this morning. Verse 16 says, don't you yourselves know? Believer in Jesus Christ, don't you yourselves know that you are God's sanctuary, that you are God's tabernacle, that you are God's temple and that the spirit of God lives within you? In other words, Believer in Jesus Christ, do you understand that your body is now the temple, the tabernacle, the dwelling place of the spirit of God? Right. And so if we have anything to be thankful for this morning, it's the fact that God sees us as a sinful person. But because of what his son, Jesus Christ, did, we now get to partake in this beautiful idea that the spirit. Right. When you ask Christ to when you give your life to Christ, all of a sudden the spirit comes and indwells within you. Remember, Old Testament, the spirit would come and fall on people and then the spirit would leave. But New Testament believers, because of what Jesus Christ has done, because of the ultimate sacrifice of who he is, the spirit of God, the spirit of the living God actually now dwells within us. And so we get to partake in this idea of being the tabernacle, right, to the world. And not only that, but look at Romans chapter 12. Again, a familiar passage to most of us, but Romans chapter 12, look at verse one. Romans 12, verse one says, therefore, brothers, therefore, believers, therefore, followers of Jesus, by the mercies of God, I urge you, I command you to present your bodies, right? Your tabernacle, your temple as a living sacrifice. Well, this is this is even different. But before, because when you talk to an Old Testament saint and you mention the word sacrifice, they say, well, wait a minute. You can't be living and a sacrifice, right? A sacrifice means you're dead, right? But because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, we are now commanded. We are now urged to be a living sacrifice, which means the life that we live, right? The life that we're giving thankfulness for, right, is to be a life that's to be lived 
for Jesus. It's a life that is to be sacrificed for Jesus. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives through me. And so we get the privileged church to be at the tabernacle, to be uh, this idea of a sacrifice. And then let's go back to where we started this morning. First Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two. Because first Peter chapter two does a beautiful job of encapsulating all three of these things into this passage. First Peter chapter two, look at verse four and verse five with me. And catch, catch the three, right, as we read through this. Verse 4 says, as you are coming to him, Jesus Christ, the living stone, right, rejected by men, but chosen and valuable to God. And here it is, catch this, church. It says, you yourselves, right, you, church, you believers in Jesus, as living stones are being built into a spiritual house, right? You're being built into this idea of a tabernacle that the spirit resides in. And it says for a holy priesthood in order that you are to offer a spiritual sacrifice, one that is acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so there it is, church, from the very beginning of time when these three things didn't exist because of our sin, Jesus and God himself had to implement these things. Jesus became the ultimate perfect example of what these three things are. And now we as the church today get to partake in all three of these. We get to be the tabernacle. We get to have unmediated access because of Jesus Christ to come directly before God. And we get to be a living sacrifice for Jesus this morning. Of that same passage, verses 9 and 10, it kind of follows along. I just want to read that this morning. Verse 9, it says, But you, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. Again, these were titles that at one point only the Israelites got to claim. But Gentiles and Jews alike right now get to partake. And it says, but you are a chosen race. You are a, a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim. That's why we're here this morning, right? To proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into a marvelous light. For once you were not a people. Right? Once you were wandering in the wilderness. Once you had no idea of what God had done for you. But now you are God's people. And once you had not received the mercy. Right? Once Jesus Christ had, hadn't come. But then he came. And now you received the mercy of Jesus and what he has to offer. So, church, this morning, I want to ask us the question, where's our perspective this morning? Where's your perspective this morning? Does your perspective need to be expanded, kind of like my my four year old, right, focused on two things? Uh, Do we need to expand our perspective of how thankful of a people we need to be? The fact that God even allows us to partake in these things should help us to jump out of our seats and to shout out praises to the Lord. Have you considered the joy of knowing that the spirit of God takes up residence within you this morning? Every time that you leave this place, you don't leave the spirit behind. Every time you walk out of this building, the spirit goes with you and you represent the spirit to the world. You get to be the ambassador of Jesus Christ to the world. So have you considered the joy of knowing that? 
Have you thanked Jesus for providing you access to God by being our high priest? And church, have you recognized your need for salvation through the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus this morning? I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe some of you have never made that step to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've never understood this perspective of what Christ did for you. And so this morning, maybe maybe you need to take that step and just saying, God, I'm thankful that you forgave my sins. I'm thankful for that. You died on the cross for me. And maybe today you need to take that step of faith and say, God, I'm willing to give my life to you. I'm willing to be that living sacrifice that you called me to be. I want you to be uh, to reside within me. I want to be the tabernacle of the spirit of God. So where are you this morning, church? As we close, listen to these words penned in Psalms 100. Psalms 100 says, it says, make a joyful shout to the Lord. All you lands serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing, knowing that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the and the sheep of his pasture. Church, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, enter into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Right. It's nothing we've done. Nothing in our life. It's nothing that we've done. It says for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. We have a lot to be thankful for, church. We have a lot to praise the Lord for this morning. Why don't you pray with me? God, thanks so much. Uh, God, sometimes it's good to pull back. Sometimes it's good to take a step back and to see, God, a a big picture of what you've done. Sometimes we can be so focused on a, a specific area and a specific thing. God, often in our lives, we do that. God, we get focused on maybe the task at hand and we, we, we forget what the future has. We forget to look around us. But God, you have always had a plan from the very beginning of time. God, our sin in the Garden of Eden was not a surprise to you. And God, what blows my mind is you still chose to dwell among your people. God, you always found a way to dwell amongst a sinful people. God, we see a temporary picture of that. Then we see a permanent solution to that. And then, God, we get to be partakers as as New Testament believers of what that even means. So, God, it's humbling to know that your spirit is the one that dwells within us. God, it's humbling to know that we have unmediated access to you once again. And God, and when we get to heaven, that's going to be even more so. And then, God, to know that you have asked us, God, you've you have challenged us. You have commanded us to be a living sacrifice. You've commanded us to go into the world, to preach the gospel, to baptize, to declare the truth of your scriptures. So, God, this morning, as we get ready to leave, God, I pray that if there's anybody here this morning that's never done that. God, somebody that's never accepted you, somebody that's never given their life to you. God, in the moment of where we are just now, right in the, in the seat that they're in, if that's you this morning and you're saying, I've never done that, I've never realized what Christ has done for me. I never realized 
the ultimate sacrifice. I never knew the lengths that God went to have a relationship with me. Would you just in your heart pray to God right now and say, God, I recognize you as Lord and King. And God, I recognize myself as a sinner. And God, I'm ready to take that step of obedience. I'm ready to take that step of trusting you and obeying you. So God, would you forgive me of my sins? God, would you help me to live for you? And God, would your spirit dwell within me? If you did that this morning, you are a believer in Jesus Christ. If you've done that this morning, you now get the privilege to be in the presence of a holy God. God, for the rest of us, God, I pray that we would leave this place filled with thanksgiving. God, that our lives would be a living sacrifice to you. God, we wouldn't live for ourselves. God, we know that nothing we do on our own is any good, but only the things that we do for you. So God, help us to take a living God to a dying world. God, help us as we leave to be filled with thanksgiving in our hearts. God, we love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Church, before we leave, just so you know, we want to invite you back tonight, uh, 5 to 7, for a hanging of the greens. We are going to do something uh, with these. You have another month if you want to continue to fill out cards, uh, to continue to write things that you're thankful for. Uh, we are actually going to uh, put a tree up in the back, and rather than decorate it with ornaments and things, we're, we're actually thinking about hanging and decorating the tree with the things that we're thankful for. So you'll probably see a lot of these things hanging on our tree. You'll have an opportunity during the month of December to continue to write your thanksgiving to the Lord. Uh, thanks, church. Have a great afternoon.